This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the Florida Supreme Court hears arguments today over a constitutional amendment creating an open primary system that allows everyone to vote regardless of their party registration. The governor and cabinet vote to hire a new commissioner for the Office of Financial Regulation. The only Democrat on the cabinet abstained because of concerns over the selection process and a lack of confidence in the finalists. The job was open for more than 200 days, but the meeting to fill that position only took about a minute. With Christmas a little more than three weeks away, the state capitol is greening up. Today is the day the Christmas trees are delivered to the capitol. They are, of course, grown in Florida. The head of the Florida Department of Corrections is warning state lawmakers that after a decade of budget cuts and reductions, it's time for them to pay the price for prisons. Mark Inch says it's a self-inflicted crisis. Our studio guest today is Sally Bradshaw, who served as chief of staff when Jeb Bush was governor and was a senior advisor for his ill-fated presidential campaign that was derailed by Donald Trump. She has a new rival now, and her name is Alexa. We'll also have your calendar of events, and we have the stories of two Florida men accused of starting fires and then stealing the vehicles of the first firemen who responded. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, December 3rd. The Florida Supreme Court is hearing arguments today about a proposed constitutional amendment changing the primary system. A political committee called All Voters Vote already has enough signatures to make the ballot next year, but they need approval from the high court before the issue can go before the voters in November. Florida currently has a closed system, which limits primaries to voters who are registered with the major political parties. Under the All Voters Vote proposal, all of the candidates for a state or local office would be listed on the same ballot, and all registered voters would be able to cast ballots in primaries regardless of their political affiliation. The two candidates getting the most votes in each primary would then advance to the general. General election. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody is asking the Supreme Court to keep it off the ballot. The Republican and Democratic parties are also opposed. But the court is not debating the merits of the amendment. Their job at this stage of the game is to decide if the ballot summary and title give voters an accurate description of what the amendment does and if the amendment is limited to a single subject. In what may be their shortest meeting in Florida history, the governor and cabinet have appointed Russell Weigel as the new commissioner for the Office of Financial Regulation. The whole thing took about a minute. It was done by conference call with Governor Ron DeSantis in charge. So the only thing we have today is the appointment of the uh, uh, commissioner of financial regulation. We've done public interviews uh, with three of the candidates. Um, uh, at this time, I moved to appoint uh, Russell Weigel to the position. Is there a second? This is Jimmy Petronas. I second. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? I'm going to abstain from this vote. The salary for the position is currently set at 166000 I move that we maintain that salary. Is there a second? Second. This is Jimmy. Okay. Any opposed? Okay. Hearing none, that concludes our agenda for today. We'll see you all tomorrow morning. Thank you. The job has been open since July when former Commissioner Ronald Rubin was fired amid allegations of sexual harassment, allegations he has denied. Now, the abstention came from Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, the only Democrat on the cabinet. She issued a statement saying she did not participate in the vote due to concerns over the search and the candidate selection process, also a lack of confidence in the finalists. The governor and cabinet are meeting in person this morning, but first a bit of holiday spirit. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed will continue a long-standing tradition in Tallahassee by presenting the governor, the chief financial officer, and the attorney general with a Florida-grown Christmas tree. It's being donated by Franco and Sigurd Camacho, who own the Bavarian Tree Farm in Tallahassee. There are more than 140 Christmas tree farms in Florida. They sell a total of more than 16,000 trees every year. If you're wondering why there have been so many stories recently about an ongoing crisis behind the walls of the state prison system, 
Let's just say it all comes down to money. Over the past decade, when Rick Scott was governor, the Florida Department of Corrections faced a series of budget cuts that hobbled the agency. When Ron DeSantis took over, he asked Mark Inch to tackle that problem. Inch started in the Army as an MP, and he left the service 35 years later as a major general. He also spent time as director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. And his past experience has convinced him that the budget cuts and 12-hour shifts are responsible for most of the problems at the Florida Department of Corrections. We are experiencing an unsustainable rate of attrition of correctional officers, correctional probation officers, and staff. The attrition, especially among new employees, leads to high vacancy rates, decreased average experience and maturity levels, increased training and overtime costs, and shortfalls in comprehensive custody and control. FTC is, the, is Florida's largest state agency with nearly 25,000 positions, of which more than 80% are correctional officers and correctional probation officers. The facts are, between fiscal year 2008, 7-8, and 2018-19, more than 3,600 positions were eliminated from the department. The largest cuts came in FY 12-13, when the department moved from an 8-hour to a 12-hour standard shift, along with a significant reduction in program services positions. Since 2009-10, correctional officer turnover increased 150% and officers with less than two years of experience increased by 67%. The median years of service for correctional officers is 2.2 years. 47% of correctional officers have less than two years of experience, and 28% have less than one year of experience. Inch says that sky-high turnover rate at the Florida Department of Corrections is costing the taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars. Correctional officer turnover rate was 36% last fiscal year. Each officer we lose costs approximately $36,000. This includes separation in hiring costs, training costs, and overtime as a result of backfilling while new officers move through the certification process. Overall, more than 4,400 correctional officers separated from the department last year at an incurred cost of more than $159 million. The department currently has 3,000 vacancies, with eight of our prisons having a vacancy rate exceeding 20%. Most concerning to me, 42% of our correctional officers now terminate their employment within 12 months of being hired. And that percentage increases to 57% within two years. So corrections is bleeding cash, and it's a self-inflicted wound. Secretary Inch told state lawmakers the decision to switch corrections officers from eight-hour shifts to 12-hour shifts has had a devastating effect on the corrections officers and the inmates. My firmest and most resolute assessment is that the change to 12-hour shifts that occurred in 2012 is not mere correlation with our current staff attrition challenges and related trend lines, but it is on balance with arguably other contributing factors, prime causation. FTC should return to an eight-hour shift. While some staff prefer to stay on 12-hour shifts, um, for they have adjusted their life patterns over these past seven years, the negative impact to the agency is undeniable. For correctional officers with less than seven years' experience, 12-hour shifts is all they know. I will work to persuade our officers that the improvement in their personal work-life balance justifies the change for them and their families, as I work to convince you that we cannot revitalize our department without this proposed pilot. I probably won't convince all, but a new generation of officers will be attracted to the change in our environment and will benefit from the veteran leaders of our agency who know from their previous experience as line officers the benefits of the eight, or in our case, the eight and a half hour shift. 
The corrections department has also been rocked by several violent attacks by guards on inmates, most notably at Lake Correctional and Lowell Correctional. But Inch says those are exceptions, not the rule. I acknowledge that some believe that there is a culture of abuse or corruption within the department. One might think that the characters of the movie Cool Hand Luke, which coincidentally is based on a book written by a former Florida inmate named uh, Don Pierce, that that describes the corrections profession of today. Having the privilege of serving our state and this agency and interacting with the staff daily, this perception runs so strongly contrary to what I have observed. Florida has led the nation in contributing to the creation of a set of national standards of corrections excellence. And we were one of the first states to receive system-wide accreditation by the American Correctional Association. We still hold that accreditation to this day. The magnitude of what is being done right every day is truly remarkable. Secretary Inch is asking Florida lawmakers to approve a pilot program shifting some of the prisons back to eight-and-a-half-hour shifts. The question now is whether the state can afford it. And perhaps more importantly, whether the state can afford not to make the change and continue with the status quo that is failing the officers, the inmates, and the taxpayers of Florida. Next up, we go one-on-one with Sally Bradshaw, who served as Jeb Bush's chief of staff when he was governor. She is now the owner of one of the best independent bookstores in the capital city and is enjoying life away from the capital bubble. That's next on Sunrise. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to the Sunrise interview. Our guest today is Sally Bradshaw, an old friend, former chief of staff for Governor Jeb Bush. Also worked on his campaign the last time around. We won't talk about that right now. But in her post politics life. She is running one of the best bookstores in town, maybe the best in the state. I just don't get around that much. That's so nice. (laughs) called Midtown Reader in downtown Tallahassee. And Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rick. It's a treat to be here. So what is life like after politics? It's so good. (laughs) Tell me more. I love that sound. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much better. I mean, I loved the years that I spent in the political arena, uh, but after 2016, it was definitely time to do something different. And I had always wanted to work in an independent bookstore. I had a great local bookstore growing up in Mississippi, and I never understood why Tallahassee really did not have that. A two-university town, a great community college system. So I decided it was time to give it a try, and we've now been open three years. And you did this at a time when there were stories nationally about bookstores shutting down, about how they were just going out of business. And yet, Certain stores have thrived, including yours. They have. Actually, there's been a pretty significant increase in the number of locally owned independent bookstores since 2009, as tracked by the American Booksellers Association, the ABA. But you can directly tie that to bookstores that do more than just sell books. So we sell a lot of books, but we also have a lot of author events. We do a lot of community programming. We partner with a a lot of nonprofits. So I think you have to provide a space to convene, a sense of community 
community and experience that is more than just simply a bookstore. I got you. Now the holiday, of course, is coming up. Anything that's really moving off the shelves right now or something that we should look out for for Christmas? Gosh, we have just released our list of staff picks for Christmas. Oh uh, and uh, it depends on what genre you read in, but there are a lot of great books coming out right now. I just read a super mystery by a gal named Ruth Ware for mystery readers out there. She's a British author who uh, writes suspense, uh, and it is terrific. And that's my staff pick for Christmas. So we can show that to anybody who's interested. And then there's some great books coming out in the children's arena. We have Kate DiCamillo, who's a former Floridian, coming in. Great middle grade author, won the Newbery Award, and she'll be here this Saturday at McClay School to do an event. She has a new book coming out in the Ramey Nightingale series. And our friend Craig Pittman has a book coming out after the first of the year about the Florida Panthers. So no lack of great reads. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Craig Pittman is a reporter for what used to be the St. Pete Times, is now the Tampa Bay Times, covers the environmental beat, and he is, in fact, the genesis of the whole Florida man concept. <laughs> in fact, I owe him an apology that I did rip that off for my show as well. But, but Craig <laughs> is sure always been watching that. I'm sure he will appreciate that. that. <laughs> he is watching the strange stuff, and we'll get him for you on the podcast when he gets up to town in January. But your latest target is a computer. Computer voice. Now, when we finish the interview, I'm going to play that spot. But oh, you, great. You have decided to pick on Alexa. What's going on there? Well, we, as I said, the way you can successfully sell books in this day and age in a brick-and-mortar bookstore, I think, is to provide something that artificial intelligence does not. I think certainly people have questioned my sanity, or at least did at the time I opened the bookstore, because Amazon has been such an influence in book world for so many years, and there's a question about whether we can compete with Amazon on pricing, and truth be told, we really can't. We do have sale items. We do try to be competitive, but it's difficult when you're competing with a giant like that. What we can compete on, though, is experience, and we actually have a bookseller named... Alexis, that's her real name. That's and real, so I, I was we decided that. to have some fun. She's an FSU student, and we met her as an intern uh, when she's she's from here in Tallahassee, graduate of JP2 High School, and she came to work for us full time when she started at FSU. And we decided to have fun with the comparison between Alexa and Alexis. And so essentially, what we did uh, with uh, a guy named Mike Copeland, Copeland Productions here in town, we joined forces and put together a little digital spot to show how frustrating it can be dealing with artificial intelligence when you're trying to find the right book. But when you come into Midtown Reader and ask Alexis instead of Alexa, you're always going to find a good read. All right, let's check out that spot right now. Alexa, I need a book recommendation. Are you trying to shop for book? What's a good book to curl up in bed with? Hmm, I don't know, but I'm always learning. What's that book with an orange on the cover? Can you recommend a good dystopian novel? It has an orange wearing a sun sunglasses and a hat. The most read nonfiction books are. Alexa, can you recommend any books on traveling? Number one. No, I didn't say nonfiction. No, that's not what I'm asking. Alexa, you know anything? What's the book with a sun with a, an orange? I have no idea what it's called. Please help me. Yeah, I've actually read that one before. That's right over there. Thank you so much. Um, and what was your name? Alexis. Alexis. Nice, pretty name. So as you can hear, there really is an Alexa. 
there really is an Alexis. Sis. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's close enough. Alexis, Alexa. And we would hire an Alexa if she were a real bookseller. All right. So you think you really can compete with the big guys? We can compete. I think people who have been in our bookstore and who are return customers know that we offer something that the internet does not. A conversation over a cup of coffee. You can also get cupcakes in our store, courtesy of local Lucy and Leo's Cupcakery business, which is terrific. And you can have a conversation on any topic. And our booksellers really are so well read and read in so many different genres that they can always recommend a good read to you. But you might also run into a National Book Award winning author or a Pulitzer Prize winning author or someone like James Patterson, who has been in Tallahassee for us. You never know who you're going to see at Midtown Reader. So we try to provide a sense of community space that differentiates us from artificial intelligence. Gotcha. Our guest today has been Sally Bradshaw, who is enjoying life after politics. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you, Rick. And today on your calendar of events, we start off with Florida Tax Watch, continuing a three-day annual meeting at the Breakers in Palm Beach, with speakers including former Attorney General Bill McCollum, former U.S. Senator George Lemieux, and former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Kotkamp. Governor DeSantis, Attorney General Ashley Moody, Agriculture Commissioner Freed, and State Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas are holding a cabinet meeting beginning at 9. That's on the lower level of the Capitol building. Trustees at the University of South Florida will be meeting at 9.30 in the USF Marshall Student Center in Tampa. U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle is holding a hearing at 10 this morning in a legal battle about carrying out a 2018 constitutional amendment designed to restore the voting rights of felons who have completed their sentences. The Florida Cybersecurity Task Force meets in Miami-Dade County beginning at 10 at the campus of Florida International University. Senator Tom Lee and Representative Lawrence McClure will discuss the upcoming 2020 legislative session during a roundtable event hosted by the Greater Plant City Chamber of Commerce. That starts at 4. And State Representative Adam Hattersley, a Democrat from Riverview, will hold a kickoff event in Tampa at 6 tonight for his campaign for Congress. He's running for the District 15 seat currently occupied by Republican Ross Spano. And finally today, a look at the continuing misadventures of Florida Man. Deputies in Walden County say they found fake explosives while investigating the case of a Florida man accused of torching a house and then stealing the vehicle of the first volunteer firefighter who responded to the blaze. Investigators say 38-year-old William Larrick of Defuniac Springs was covered with blood when he ran from the house and took off in a stolen vehicle. The bomb squad was called out after a search of the home revealed what appeared to be C4 military explosives, but the bomb techs say it was fake. Larrick is charged with Grand Theft Auto for now. More charges are expected. And a Florida man accused of starting several fires in the city of Cocoa before stealing a fire truck apparently tried to set himself on fire at the county jail. Michael Simpson was arrested after urinating on the glass at a credit union. When he arrived at the jail, witnesses say he lit the tank top he was wearing on fire. Investigators believe Simpson set several fires before he was arrested and stole the pickup truck used by the district fire chief when he responded to one of those incidents. Simpson is charged with arson, criminal mischief, and breach of peace. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee for Florida Politics. We'll see you again tomorrow.